in any game, basketball, football, soccer, it's really the second half that counts. We're back for the second half of our interview with sports psychologist and author David Essel. Check it out. That's right, Dadages, friends and family. We are back for the second half of the interview with David Essel and our continuing focus on the Dadage, surround yourself with people who are better than you are at what they do best. We've certainly brought in one of the best in David Essel. The first half of the interview is not to be missed. So if you're coming in at the halfway point, please hit pause and go back to check out the first episode with David. Just to remind you, we're talking about David's latest book, Mental Mastery and Maximum Performance for Professional Athletes. Take your career and your life to the next level. In the first half of the interview, we talked about some of the physical and mental pressures that exist for competitive athletes, the resources utilized by some of the true GOATs to achieve and sustain success at the highest level. And we heard some great insider stories from David. Today, we're going to shift the focus a bit more to life after sports, life outside of the athletic environment, and also really get some insights into David's personal and professional experiences that have helped to shape his work and his life. But I want to actually talk a little bit about another impactful moment in sports that's not so public and not so loud and brash and in the headlines, and that's walking away. You shared a detailed account in your book, and I was really touched with uh, how much detail you shared and how forthcoming you were about the difficult decision you faced when it was your time to hang up your sneakers. For everyone, that moment comes, whether it comes in elementary school, middle school, high school, or whether it comes at the end of winning 15 championships, there is a point in time when the career ends. And, you know, for everyone, not just athletes as well, retirement is something that comes along. You might retire from something you really love and dedicated your entire life to. How can people make sure that their lives are fulfilling post a career in sports or post a career in in life? Chad, this is a really important question. And it's something that we ask our athletes to start working with on day one, what's after the career, you know, and we even have have a chapter in there talking about life after retirement. What are people doing? And I mentioned some names already about, you know, Ernest Graham with the insurance companies and Russell Westbrook has his own clothing line out, you know, and so we have people that are already Always doing the it. best dressed man in the NBA. No doubt. Right, yeah. dude. Oh, my goodness. And then we have people like Jalen Hurts, who during the playoff to the Super Bowl was finishing his MBA. He During the football season, <laughs> this guy is finishing his MBA, you know, so we have to start thinking of these things much sooner than we do. Yes. Uh, too many times people delay and delay and delay. You mentioned, you know, when I had to make my decision to walk away from basketball and I was getting emotional as you were saying it, you know, I could feel tears coming to my eyes and I have a hard time sometimes, you know, making sure it was the 
right move. I often put it out of my mind, Chad, just to be 100% transparent. Yeah. I put it on my mind because there are benefits of staying and there were benefits of not staying, you know, yeah. and, and it was really hard. In psychology, we teach there's two sides of the ego. Uh, most mm -hmm. people say there's, there's only one side and it's a bunch of crap. There's two sides of the ego. Uh, the one side is the side that everyone talks about, meaning someone's arrogant, uh, they're stingy, they're greedy, they're blah, 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 blah. That's small ego crap. That's, that's not your true ego. Your true, true ego is the big ego. And that's what we need to work on. And that's honesty, transparency, vulnerability, compassion, contentment, service, gratitude, forgiveness. This is all big ego stuff, you know, but the small ego can be very powerful. Yeah. And I'm not sure what part of my small ego of knowing I was a member of the Syracuse University basketball team. I was a walk on. I was actually going to get a scholarship for the last two years. That's unheard of, especially for someone, you know, who was never going to play. As you read in the book, you know, Roy Danforth was the head coach back then. Jim Beheim, who everyone knows in the world just about was the assistant coach and came into the office and, you know, Roy Danforth built me up as a good leader does. Uh, you know, he told me how incredible I was, how important I was and everything else and uh, how he had a new group of guys coming in that were just off the chart talented and I would never play again. But he really wanted me in practice to drill these guys because one of my strengths was that I was a honey badger on defense. When in my two years of playing there, we had almost every practice, someone would come up to me and say, would you go easier? This isn't the NBA playoffs. <laughs> would you go easier on me on practice with defense? And I would say, no, this no. is the only way I know how to play, you know, because because if I play hard now, I'm going to have more minutes in the game and I'm going to be a better athlete against the other team when we're playing. So I know I'm going fall out. But when he said to me, we need you in practice, but you will basically never get in the game. And there were two guys that were on the bench for two years and I talked to them both and they told me how difficult it was for them. And sometimes, Chad, there was a minute and a half left in a game and we're up by 30 and they didn't get in. So and then there were times there were 30 seconds left and they would get in and they would feel embarrassed going on the court with 30 30 seconds left. And so the decision is different for everyone. I still struggle. Basketball is still my life. I still shoot. Yeah. My knees are shot, but I still go out, you know, hopefully a couple of days a week and shoot. I love the world of sports and athletics. I love the work with athletes. You know, I love writing books. Maybe one of the most beautiful moments of my life that I write about in the book at Syracuse University is that I had not seen Jim Beheim. What he was like, even as an assistant coach was mind blowing and his knowledge of his own defense was completely incredible. And I learned so much from him. And and I hadn't seen him in 43 years, you know, and I went back to Syracuse University to do the keynote address at their graduation ceremony, which was one of the most amazing opportunities I've ever had in my life. And Floyd Little, who was a, uh, a former All-American running back at, at Syracuse and then one of the top NFL running backs ever, who just died recently, was mm -hmm. a friend of mine. You know, he brought me into him and his wife, Deborah. Deborah set it up and Floyd is just this amazingly humble, vulnerable human being. And they set up this lecture in the president's office at Syracuse University. And I had Floyd and Deborah with me. And after the lecture, Floyd just got up and talked about like I was, you know, the greatest gift since sliced bread. I mean, it was crazy, <laughs> the compliments he gave me. And that night he said to me after the lecture, he said, you know, I bet you'd like to see Coach Jim. And I said, oh my God, Floyd, I would love to. He said, I already set it up. He said, they have practice tonight. The security guards got your name. Go get them. And, you know, I walk into the Syracuse Dome and the team is practicing and I see Coach Beheim at one end of the court putting this heavy winter parka on that I was so familiar with living in that weather. And I yelled, hey, coach, hold on. And he turns around and he goes, Essel, I've seen you've been doing some pretty powerful things in psychology over the years. And, you know, Chad, 
for someone you haven't seen and spoken to in 43 years who actually followed your career. Now, I followed Coach Jim Beheim's career because I would watch him every chance I could as a Syracuse alumni. So for him, though, to follow a walk-on who was not a star, who didn't finish his playing days there, who was only there for two years. Chad, think about the integrity and the level of human consciousness, whether you like Jim Boeheim or not, is irrelevant. The fact that he is who he is, is mind-blowing to me. The fact that he did that, you know, and I, I get emotional sharing that story because that's what basketball and sports means to me. You know, sure. I have so much respect for these mentors of mine. You know, I tell the story in the book about a mentor I never liked, Larry Miller, who I still can't find, but he was my high school coach for my first two years. I couldn't stand Larry Miller. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about Larry in just a minute here, uh, David, because I want to rewind and, and understand some of your influences. And I do want to pause and I want to acknowledge and I want to thank you for the strength of your vulnerability. Thank you for opening up and sharing that emotion. It means so much to me. It means so much to, to the Dadages, friends and family, and particularly those of us that are men. You know, so often society tells us it's not okay to be in touch with our emotions. It's not okay to share that with other people. We're here at Dadages to scream loudly, no, it's okay. Please do so. And, and thank you for, for sharing all of that. It, it, means, it means a ton. Now, like I said, I, I do want to uh, rewind and I want to go back because one thing I want to point out about that moment that you faced, and I want to acknowledge this as well, and this is just my humble opinion, but, but I want to share it because I think it's, it's worth you hearing it from me, is I know you faced a really tough decision when you had to walk away. And when you made the choice between rough path that had been laid out for you to stay in basketball versus, you know, being able to follow an alternative path. And while I know, as you said, you still look back at that decision and I can tell there's still question marks somewhere in the back of your mind. I want to say from my perspective, had you not made that difficult decision, had you not set aside your sneakers and the basketball and walked away from basketball, you have not, you would not have made the space necessary in your life to go on and do everything that you've done and everything that ultimately one of your heroes, Jim Beheim, recognized in you. That makes him astute for recognizing what you've done. And it makes you astute for being able to make such a difficult decision to create that space. Wow. Chad, thank you. That means so much to me. You know, I appreciate your perspective. Uh, it's a beautiful perspective and I will hold on to it and it will help. You know, one of the things that I want to share right now with our audience, you know, is that these difficult times, decisions we make that we may have regrets for or may not. And, you know, I used to always be a person that said I have no regrets, regrets in life. And I think that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. I think I'm saying it just to try to make myself that's feel it. good or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, some other BS. Come on. Now. Yeah. If we don't have regrets, that probably means we haven't lived life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I lived life to the highest level possible in my, you know, basketball career. Um, I, I know that, you know, you read this in the book at six years of age, I was sleeping with a basketball every night yep. and I knew what my future was, you know, and I knew where I was going and, and there was no doubt. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm short and that I, you know, I could only dunk a volleyball. I could never dunk a real basketball, you know, um, but, that, but my mind did not think of anything other than I was going to be an NBA all-star. I mean, that's all I imagined, you know, my whole life. And so that also made it, you know, a, a little bit more difficult to walk away from something that since the age of six, you knew that this was the only thing that mattered to you, you know, and, yeah. and honestly, Chad, it's the only reason I went to college. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I didn't go because I wanted to, I wanted to walk on and be a freaking basketball player at Syracuse university, you know, and, you did and that. that's what got me into school. Yeah, absolutely. So if we go all the way back to your origin story and the influences mm -hmm. that were most important on you, I loved your dedication 
in the book. As a sports dad in particular, it was very heartwarming for me to hear you talk about your father, Steady Eddie Essel. Uh, And it it seems like he truly was steady and was like a rock in your life, supporting you throughout your childhood in pursuit of your dreams. Tell us about your dad and what you learned from him that shaped who you are today and the man you are today. Well, I mean, you're you're just going to get a a ton of flood and tears here, brother. Here we go. go. I'm ready. All right. You know, my dad left the physical world a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I I have very deep spiritual beliefs. Uh, He's with us daily. You know, he's with my partner and I every day. Uh, Mom and dad come as cardinals to our bird bird feeder. They don't miss a day. We know if you read anything about spirituality, there's all kinds of signs. You know, there's actually a book for people grieving on signs that you can look at and see. And I've gotten so many signs, you know, from my mom and my dad. I mean, we could spend a complete show talking about them visiting me after they've passed on, Chad. And um, I've had people with me when, especially my partner, you know, when my mom has visited me in a fully conscious state, you know, we we, we could talk about that forever, but I'll answer, you know, regarding my dad. My dad and I were so different. My dad was a CPA. He was black and white. He was not emotional. You know, I'm an emotional mess the whole time. I mean, I I can get super excited in 2.1 seconds and I can get super frustrated in two point seconds, you know, so- that's your superpower. That's a superpower, brother. Yeah. I'm right with you, you know. And um, and my dad was, uh, you know, my partner uses the word measured. What a beautiful word for my my dad. He was so measured, you know. When I was around 13, I, I said to my dad, can I back the car down the driveway uh, to shoot hoops? And he said, absolutely. You know, I was 13. I didn't have a license. And he said, you know how to put it into neutral. And, you know, we had a sloping. It was called Essel's Sloping Gardens was the name of our <laughs> basketball court in my driveway because there was such a huge slope. Yes, <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. It's not quite MSG, but still Instead a of MSG, court. right on. Yeah. ESG. That's so cute. And so, you know, I open the door and I'm looking out and I, I hit the clutch and I'm rolling down the driveway and I've got the door open and I'm making sure everything's looking good. And I totally forgot that the open door was right oh. in the way of the pole of the basketball. Oh. <laughs> and the minute the car door hit, it broke off and I'm rolling backwards with my eyes like this going, I am so dead. And I sat in the car. I didn't know what to do, Chad. You know, I put it in park. I froze. I get out of the car. I start to walk towards the front door. And my dad had seen the whole thing. And he stood there with his arms crossed. And, you know, he didn't have a smile on his face. He had like concerned look. And I was so afraid to walk in the front door. And uh, I walked in and he said, I saw what you did. I said, I am so sorry. He said, we'll get it fixed Monday. And he walked away. Measured. He could have just ripped me apart and yeah. he would have had every reason to. And, you know, and, and there, there was plenty of reasons I gave him to rip me apart. But over the years, you know, he was so different and, and so beautiful and so calm. Everything that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm more like my mom, definitely. But then something happened, you know, when my dad died, uh, we raced from Florida to New York because they had all those stupid COVID crap things on. And yeah. so we had to drive. It's such a to- tough time for families going through either oh. blessed or tragic events because we were disconnected from one another forcefully. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so we're, we're racing. We had waited until hospice said that, you know, he, he could make it three or four more days. And so we raced and we missed him by a couple hours. You know, what was so hard about that, Chad, is that my brother and sister, Terry and Mary Diane, they had been the caregivers in Syracuse, New York for four years. You know, both my parents were in hospice together for two years and they were, you know, in home help aids and everything for two other years. So for four years, they could not function. They 
they were both extremely ill. And my brother and sister had the burden of caring for them and organizing, you know, home aids and all of that kind of stuff. And I didn't, I was in Florida, you know, yeah. and, and it was so hard to fly home. And of course, you know, all of this started right at COVID. And so we finally raced up and missed. And I was so filled with regret and I was so filled with self-anger that I didn't leave a day early. I screamed, I, I mean, I screamed and screamed and screamed. And, and finally that night, I turned to my brother and I said, the coroner who took care of mom to, is taking care of dad. And I need time along with him. I need several hours alone. I know he's not here physically, but he is spiritually. My brother was such an angel. He made a call. I ended up having on the next day, a gurney with my father. Now, a lot of people would not want this. And I understand and respect mm -hmm. your opinion. This was necessary for me. And I climbed like I was a little boy back into my dad's arms. And I held him and I cried and I screamed. And I told him what he meant to me. I told him something that you read in the book that I'll never forget every Syracuse University home basketball game with my dad staying late after work, arriving at the stands at 7.30 with an egg salad sandwich for his dinner. Chad, I told him everything. Yeah. I cried on him. I wiped his face. I told him that I was gonna carry on his legacy of being a measured man. I told him I'll never forget the fact that when we were kids and he would take my brother and I fishing, we caught all the fish. 30 years later, I asked him why he never caught a fish. He said, because I never baited my hook. Never baited my hook. I wanted you both to have all the fun in the world. Yeah. Well, I if I could offer one piece of advice to you, it would be the next time you see those cardinals, I think you need to uh, erect a small bleachers uh, in your backyard <laughs> and make sure that every day you're putting an egg salad sandwich in the top row of the bleachers. You are the best. So that that cardinal can land there and have his egg salad sandwich every day while he watches you from you the stands the every best. day of your life. Oh my God, Chad. I love you, brother. That was the most beautiful thing you could have ever said. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about mentors, one that maybe didn't occupy as fond a place in your heart, you mentioned a few moments ago, Larry Miller, and we've talked about adversity and how adversity can take on many forms and how important adversity is in life. Yeah. He confronted you uh, in high school, it sounds like, from the stories you shared in the book. And it was really a tough love kind of relationship that you had with that coach. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that relationship meant to you and what it still means to you today and what advice you'd give to others based upon those kinds of relationships. Chad, this was the first real coach I ever had my freshman year in high school, you know, in playing at six, seven and eighth grades, you know, I mean, we had dads that would jump in and be coaches yeah, yeah. type of thing, you know, doing they're the just best out thing. there having fun like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, right? and it, it, it's not their gig and, and all that kind of stuff, but they're doing the best they can yeah. and hurting cats. 
Yes. They're more, they're more herders than they are coaches. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. And all of a sudden I get a coach, you know, and, and this guy is from out West, I'm out like Montana or somewhere. He was raised on a farm, you know, like castrating bulls and stuff like that. I mean, this guy was, was a real man for yeah. day, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he came in and, and he preached defense from day one. And he told the whole team, he said, there's not one of you that I care about basically regarding your offensive skills. And of course I was an offensive skills guy, right? I'm all about, you know, scoring and shooting and all all that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, Earl the Pearl Monroe, I write about in the book, was my go-to role model that I tried to copy everything Earl the Pearl Monroe did. But, you know, offense was not Larry Miller's uh, interest at that time. And so what I felt what was happening was that I was being called out and I was, if, if people understand basketball, there's a drill called lines, which sucks. And you you run from the baseline to the foul line and back, then half court back, then three quarters yeah. line back, then the full guy. So th- they would use it as motivation, supposedly. It's really called penalty penalization, quite yeah, frankly. Punishment, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, punishment. It is not motivation. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I was running lines and I'm getting blisters and I'm just so freaking irritated. You know, I want to be the, the, the this shooting guard. I want this, I want that. And it never happened. And this guy drilled me. I mean, t- taking an offensive foul, I became, you know, like a Kevin Love for God's sake, if people follow NBA basketball. You know, I mean, I looked for every opportunity to draw offensives. You know, I knew how to steal from behind. I knew all of these techniques, you know, but most importantly, I knew what's called the defensive slide. The most important move in basketball is to be able to move your feet while you stare at the opponent's belly button. You don't look at the ball and fakes with the hands and fakes with the shoulders and all that. You stare at the belly button because if you're at the belly button, they're right in front of you, right? They can't go nowhere. Yeah. And so, you know, I would get in that defensive stance, you know, and eventually I began to love it. And the only reason I did, Chad, was because I would play more. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I would turn turn my head and say, okay, let's go play defense just to play more minutes. But after two years, I was done with it. You know, I was sick of it. I was sick of Larry Miller and all of this stuff. So I transferred to a school. And as I say in the book, very first thing the high school coach says to me is that, where the heck did you learn this conditioning from? <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh my God, that was Larry Miller. Larry where Miller. Where did you learn this defensive staff? Oh, crap. It's Larry Miller. Larry How Miller. Did you learn yeah. <laughs> to take offensive charges. Oh God. And Chad, the same thing happened at Syracuse University. You know, my when I was trying out, they I think they had, I don't know, a couple slots open. There isn't many for walk-ons, you know. And I remember the, the coach coming and pulling me after the very first tryout session, pulling me aside and asking me, where did I learn to take offensive charges? You know, and all I can say is the guy I don't like the most, who now I must love because look at what's happening. And it was yeah. Larry Miller. I hope to find him one day. I haven't yet, but I hope somehow, you know, maybe he'll listen to your podcast, Chad, and you'll we hear us talking. And he'll cross. Hopefully Larry Miller is out there. We've said his name enough times. It's- show up in all the algorithms. So if Larry Miller's out there, hopefully we'll find him. That's right. I love it. David, as you've been here today, and and I I encourage our friends and family to to read the book because they'll see even more of how direct and open and transparent you are. And I really admire and respect that. And I I believe that what you shared in the book about your own challenges, your, your own battles with depression and anxiety, what you've shared here today about these life stories and how they've shaped and mold you. I think that those of us that choose to engage in trying to be mentors to others don't do it because 
we're perfect or we're better than anyone else. And we don't do it in spite of our imperfections. I think it's actually, we embrace our imperfections and how they help us relate to others and help us help others. Can you talk about how your own experiences have empowered you to be able to achieve such amazing results with all of your clients and everyone you've worked with? Chad, you know, you're a psychologist basically with these questions you're asking. So I wanna, I wanna thank you for being willing to go deep. And because this is a very deep question. My battle with alcohol began at age 12 and, mm -hmm. and it went on for 30 years. I didn't know really what I was doing other than I had never gotten a DUI. I had never gotten into trouble. So I must not have a problem. Complete denial, right? And what I found though, was that all these people, while I was still an alcoholic, I was getting sober effortlessly and they were trusting me at a level you wouldn't believe. And they had no idea I was just like them. Interesting. Consciously. But yeah. they read my energy. They saw my compassion. Yeah. I had so yeah. much compassion because I was struggling too. And then, Chad, when we go into my depression, uh, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, which was never even diagnosed until 1990, yeah. for gosh sake, you know? I mean, I went my whole life. And as a kid, you know, they said it was allergy. You know, my inability to focus and my inability to control my emotions and, you know, my frustration levels would get so high. And they and it was always allergies. Well, we find out, you know, I don't know, what, I was born in 56. I don't know how, how many years it is from 56 to 1990. It's a long time. In that period of time, it never once did I ever think that I was depressed or anxious. I didn't think that my addictions were being driven by mental health issues, but they were. And so I, I can jokingly say, you know, when someone comes to work with me with any kind of issue, I'll go, you know, you're in the best place because I've had everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone through every freaking uh, everything. I had a, I had a failed suicide attempt in 1990. I did not put that in the book. It's not because I'm embarrassed about it or anything. We we talk about it all the time. I just didn't feel that it was all that necessary as a piece of my life to be in that book. But we have no problem talking about it as I am with you right now. After that, working with suicide failed victims or working with suicide victims who were successful that and then I work with their families. I come from that understanding. And if I look back at my mental health issues, the, 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 you know, addiction is a mental health issue, anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD, they have been some of the most amazing teachers in my life. I'm not saying that I would welcome it again. If I could do it again, would I have all these? Hell no, I would not. One of the things is like, well, let's take, you know, ADD. I had to create a format for work in order to be able to function. Mm -hmm. If I did the same thing eight hours in a row, I could not function. Yeah. So every hour, Chad, is a totally different experience. I have an hour plus with you on this beautiful show, and then I'll have a completely different session with a completely different topic, yeah. and then a different session. So I've found, and I've been able to help people with ADD and ADHD over the years, get become more focused by breaking up and making sure they're in the right career path. Yeah. Or, you know, not unlike sports, making sure you're in the right position for your skills and talents, right? So so I look at everything that I was embarrassed to talk about before, my mental health challenges, the suicidal failure, the addictions, you know, for a number of years, I was embarrassed to talk about them. But freedom comes from truth, vulnerability, and transparency. So if you want to be free, be truthful, be transparent, be honest. And now you may not have people like you. There could be some people right now that are part of our show that go, oh my God, I would never work with someone that had all those issues. And that's okay. I would never try to convince someone, oh, don't worry. You know, I can, if, if I'm not your match, I'm not your match. And I don't take it personally. I'd rather have someone go, oh my God, thank God someone's gone through all this crap that I've gone through. So they have resources. They have probably books 
books they can recommend, which we do. You know, yeah. they have websites to recommend, which we do. You know, so when someone works with me, Chad, it's it's not just a talk therapy session. We don't believe in that. We believe in adding videos as homework assignments and some reading and journaling and writing. You know, we believe that it really does take a full approach to healing, whether we're talking about an NBA, NFL, MLB star, or we're talking about someone that just starting as an entrepreneur with their own business and they have $2,000 in the bank. We want to look at every part of life. And that's why, you know, in, in the title of the book, it says, you know, take your profession and your life to the next level. And because it is about life. And that's what these professional athletes, you know, and, and the thing, you know, one of the hardest things for fans to understand is some of the stuff we're talking about today. You know, what's it like to be an NFL quarterback facing depression and having to go out on the field? Now, a lot of us are gifted. And I was one of those that was gifted. Was it the minute the mic came on, the minute the camera came on when I was in my addictions when I was really battling with mental health issues they all disappeared just went out the window yeah. I hosted radio shows that were, you know, three hours on a Saturday, three hours on a Sunday in the middle of the worst depression I've ever had. But wow. the minute the mic went on for the next three hours, I was on fire. And so we look at these quarterbacks or we look at pitchers or we look at any position in sport and they're going through a struggle. We don't know if they're going through a divorce. We don't know if their mom just died. We don't know if their child has just been diagnosed with autism. We don't know. You know, so one of the things that I want, you know, and again, the reason for writing the book, it was never intended for the spectator, but it's become a huge spectator book. Absolutely. Was to get spectators to really sort of get into the mind and the shoes of the athletes and to see what some of the things are going. You know, I, I have to say a celebration to Max Crosby. Max Crosby, one of the top NFL linebackers in the, in the NFL for the Raiders. He just celebrated three years of complete sobriety. He yeah. took time off to go to a treatment center and yeah. now he's he offers his motivation to other players struggling with alcohol. And Chad, you would not believe, well, maybe you would, but the average person may not believe the number of professional athletes with serious addictions to pot, alcohol, sugar. Yeah. I mean, there's some serious shit going down, you know, in the Absolutely. world of, because they've got the money, they've got the resources, the they access, have people. Yeah. Yeah. access, right? They've got yeah. people around them encouraging, you know, John Morant, my heart goes out to you, my brother. One of the most talented, gifted players to ever walk on the court that could have had, you know, a 20-year career possibly if he wouldn't keep throwing his body on the ground, uh, yeah. like LeBron James, right? And then we're going to miss him for a complete season. And I just pray to God that he's getting this help more than yeah. skills help. I hope he's getting this help, you know? His father made a quote the other day on social media saying that he feels so deeply for his son. He feels so sorry for the choices he's made. So at least he he has a dad who's willing to come be public and support him, which I thought was a beautiful, you know, even though he said he's sad, he's made those decisions. That's still a supportive dad. Definitely. And, and that's, you know, what we're all about here at Datages is what it means that transference of knowledge and wisdom from one generation to the next. And as we look at what you've done to pay it forward, I mean, you've clearly faced adversity in your own life. You've absorbed input, guidance, mentorship from others. You've distilled all of that down and now have dedicated your entire life to being educator of the next generation of everyone who's coming up, whether it's in professional sports or just in every walk of life. And it's amazing, this book, even where the audience in name is the competitive athlete, the, the, the elite athlete. But as you said, anyone who picks up this book 
really gets the sense that you're paying it forward to anyone and everyone in every walk of life. And for me, there's really two groups that I'd like to, as we kind of draw to a close today, there's two groups that I'd like to focus on that I feel like you have so much wisdom and advice to offer. And one is people like me, parents of aspiring athletes. There are many of us in the data, just friends and family. And so in this world where all these pressures exist, as parents like John Morant's dad are trying to raise them up to be not only elite athletes, but ha happy, successful, grounded, whole individuals while being elite athletes. What would you tell us? Chad, we're, we're done at midnight tonight, right? <laughs> I think that's the cutoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought TJ said like 1130 quarter 12, something like that. Okay. The most important thing for a parent to do first is to not give advice. When your daughter or son calls and they're saying, you know, I, I don't understand this. You know, I'm not playing. I should be out there. I'm much better than Sue. I'm much better than Bill. What the hell's going on? You know, I think he's a, a coach's favorite. Best thing in the world is to allow your child to be your child, to allow them to have their emotions, their frustrations, their anger, their disappointment their sadness, allow them to vent. You know, one of the things mom and dad who I know are listening to me right now that they struggled the most with because they weren't raised this way, but I was a highly emotional child. I had so much emotion in me. I wanted to vent it out, but you know, my mom and dad and their best intentions ever, I'd come, you know, I don't care if I was seven years old, I was a maniac on sports, you know, and if I had a bad game, I'd come home and I'd be all upset. And, you know, they would try to do the Pollyanna stuff. Oh, yeah. tomorrow's a better day. And, you know, that was just a lucky break they got to beat you yeah. and, you know, all that kind of of stuff, right? Well, they did the best they could. And I have no regrets against what my mom and dad did because they did know no better. And no one back then knew any better. Okay. They're, yeah. What you and I are talking about today is the new age of parenting. And it's radically different. And it's really difficult if you want to do it right, because we think they're asking for our advice. They're not. What they're looking for is a safe place, a safe environment, a trusted environment that they can be them, that they can cry, that they can be mad, that they can say it's unfair. And we sit and we listen. Yeah. And we listen. Listen and, and we let them listen. share. And that is the most powerful role that someone like yourself or anyone else who has an athlete that loves what they do can do to listen. Yeah. And then when they're done and they're expired and exhausted and they're tired and they vented it all out. And that's when we say, is there anything that dad can do to help you right now? We ask a question and the answer more often than not is no. No. Yeah. Because all they wanted you to do was listen. Listen, you've already done it at that point. And then if they say, yes, I don't know what to do about this lack of confidence. You know, I had a, a BMX racer, a woman that was going into, and she didn't go into professional BMX racing, but when she got there, she didn't realize the level of competition. She had blown away in the amateur BMX racers. Yeah. You know, yeah. she had blown everyone away. But when she went to the pros, it was totally different, right? Sounds like uh, Schwarzenegger coming to America. If Absolutely. You, if you watched his uh, biography. Yes, beautiful analogy, yeah. Chad. You're 100% correct, right? And so she gets to, now she's freezing and the gate's opening and she's still there. And she's two or three pedals behind because she's frozen emotionally that all these stars she's racing against, right? So, you know, she goes to her parents and her parents are giving her all this advice and she's getting frustrated. Now the parents and her are fighting and everything. And finally, I don't know if it was the mom or dad said, we need to take our hands off. We need someone who knows something about sports. We only know about our daughter, you know? And so they turned her over to me and I asked them, you know, for the next 90 days, would you please not give them advice? Give your daughter advice about yeah. anything with racing. No yeah. advice whatsoever, just for 90 days. And it was really hard for them, Chad. They had right? to go because, cold turkey. Yeah, totally, right? Because at the end of a race, they were used to coming up and going, oh, don't worry, you'll do better next time. Maybe this girl cheated on you or something, you know, just yeah. to try to make her feel better. For 90 days, they were quiet. And this woman 
blossom. Transformative. She wow. gained the confidence of a honey badger. If you know what a honey badger is, yep. you know, honey badgers don't give a crap about anything. They just go after what they want. And that's yeah. what she became. So parents, well-meaning parents, maybe try this, maybe try that. Unless you have a degree in sports psychology or unless you're a former athlete, but you have to be careful. Even as a former athlete, times have changed radically. Like, you know, I, if I had a child today, if I had a little boy or a little girl that was going to be a basketball player, I would have to work with them much differently than my coaches did 43 years ago, you know? Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's a new generation. It's everything is brand new. We have to understand that as parents, which is why we need to really be involved with reaching out to individuals that do this professionally. And so let's talk then about that new generation because that's the other Mm -hmm. audience I want to get your insight on. You shared with me offline that while you don't have children of your own, you've been part of raising children. You have even gone so far as to write children's books. Clearly, you have adopted a voice and a tone and a perspective that allows you to communicate directly to children and directly to that next generation. Can you share some key bits of wisdom the way you would package them if you're talking directly to a child? What are those key messages, your go-to advice that you offer to kids when you have that opportunity to minister to them directly? I'll tell you, it'll always begin with a series of questions right? Versus advice. And yeah. and I make this point again, because I want parents to really hear this, right? You know, right. turn, turn off the advice, turn off the advice and go to question. So I, yeah. if I'm working with some, I might go, well, let's, if do you mind staying sport related just because we're on sport Please. related? Stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a young boy, 12 years of old, age of old, come in and, and he had had, I don't know what's underneath Little League, but there's there's a league underneath Little League, a T-ball. Yeah, it's like T-ball and then they go up to Little League and everything. And so, you know, in T-ball, he was doing great and fantastic. And then he gets up to Little League where there actually is a pitcher that throws the ball and he is petrified. He is petrified of standing in that bat. And it reminded me of me. You know, I was a pitcher in high school when, when I had a bat. Oh, I hated it, Chad. I didn't want to get up there. I well, sucked at hitting. Coach at that level, I can tell you, I I was equally petrified because that first year that it's kid pitch and you put a kid out there to pitch on the mound, you coach like this. <laughs> exactly right. So, you know, the, the, the parents were doing everything in their power. Oh, don't worry. They don't throw it that hard. It won't even hurt if you get hit and all that kind of stuff. You know, so I, I get this. Look, <laughs> you're not up there getting hit, dad. You yeah. don't know what, what it feels like. We went through the series of questions, you know, like, what is it that makes you most fearful of going to, up to bat? And he would say, you get hit by a pitcher. Mm-hmm. How many times have you been hit in the last game? I wasn't. How many times were you hit in the game before that? I I wasn't. What about the game before that? No, I wasn't hit then either. Okay, so now we start seeing that we've had an experience that happened at some point, but he's carrying it forward as if it's happening Mm -hmm. all the time. All the time, yeah. So I said, okay, well, it sounds like it's happening once every 10 games. Is that about right? And he was thinking and said, yeah, right. I said, so that's one-tenth of the time that you're going to the plate that you might get hit. That means nine times up, you're not getting hit, right? He looks around and he goes, yeah. I said, okay, so let's go up there knowing that this is one of the nine times. Let's just get our head straight. When you go up, go, this is one of the nine times. That's all you need to do and hit the ball. That was the only advice I had to give. He understood. I'm going to hit the ball. I'm going to hit the ball, you know? So now we get into that mental training, which will assist him for the rest of his life. That's fantastic. It's amazing. It's such amazing advice. I love that. Listen and respond and help guide 
don't try to get out and lead and direct yeah. and, and provide advice in that way. It's it's fantastic. You know, as we wrap up here today, David, and you've been so generous, not only with everything you've shared, but with your time, I value it tremendously. I appreciate you sharing so much with me and with the Datages friends and family. What I really want to make sure we get across to, to the friends and family is where can they go get a copy of this book? Because they need to have it in their hands. They need to have it in their library. They need to read it. They need to digest it and make it a part of their lives. How, how can they get their hands on your book. Uh, thank you, Chad. You know, Amazon.com, The uh, I mean, the book is there right now. You can actually, for a limited time, we're do- giving away the Audible for free at the website. Oh, awesome. So you can listen to me tell the story. And, and I, I want to make this comment about Audibles. When the author of the book does, you know, unfortunately, Chad, I'm, I don't want to go off on this, this tangent, but AI is a pain in the butt to people like me who are old school, old fashioned, write your own damn book. Don't just put in a couple keywords and have paragraphs come up from AI. I'm so sorry, that's a bunch of crap. Okay, now let's get back to the point. (laughs) The author's soapbox. Yes, exactly. I just, I, I had to say that, you know, but yeah. when you listen to an audible by the author who has actually written the freaking book and yeah. they have passion for it, it is mind-blowingly different than when an author hires someone to read the book. I mean, that just makes sense, right? So we want this book in millions of hands. So go to talkdavid.com. It's all I do is talk. That's why the name of the website is talkdavid.com. Go to talkdavid.com. Get the download of the book, Mental Mastery and Maximum Performance for Professional athletes absolutely free for a limited time. Enjoy the heck out of it. Once you do up to two or 300 of your closest friends, you should be sending them the book from Amazon. I mean, it's the least you can do as trying to help. Christmas is right around the corner. (laughs) <laughs> that's right, Christmas is, that's right. So get those orders in early. <laughs> but seriously, we appreciate you buying the book. We appreciate you downloading the Audible for free because you know what's most important, and, and I, I wanna mention why we're giving the Audible for free because I've gotta give one of my mentors a huge shout out right now. In 1990, coming off of one of the worst years of my life, I started national radio with Westwood One. My first guest was Dr. Wayne Dyer. I was a rookie in radio. I had 10 or 11 years underneath my belt as a sports psychologist and as a counselor and all that kind of stuff. And and Dr. Wayne Dyer in 1990 was bigger than the world. In 2000, when the rest of the world... Listen, in the 80s, Chad, and you know this, he was a huge star in the 80s. What Are Your Erroneous Zones was one of his first books that he put out. But so I have... I'm going, oh my God, I get Wayne Dyer on the show. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know, am I even ready for him? He was so sweet, so easy, so compassionate. And at the end of it, he goes, "Um, how soon can I be back? And I said, Wayne, what are you talking about? He goes, no, this is great. He goes, we have a new book coming out in three or four months. How about... I go, anytime. I'll have you anytime. He goes, I have a question for you. How can I help you the most right now? And I said, Wayne, what do you mean? He said, you're exceptional. He said, I don't know how long you've been doing radio. And that was my first real show, Chad. He said, but this was exceptional and I want to help you. How can I help you the most? And I go, Wayne, I don't even know what to say. He said, well, how about if I start off by giving you an endorsement? I said, oh my God, please. You know, that would be great. So he gave us this great endorsement. Then he said, what else? What else can I do? And I'm sitting there going, Well, I go, I just, I have a question for you. He goes, sure. I go, I'm 10 years now. I'm a young entrepreneur. 10 years isn't long in the world of entrepreneurship. You've been an entrepreneur forever. I said, what would be your best advice to help my business grow? And he smiled and and this was before the internet. And he smiled and he said, take your best stuff and find a way to give it away for free. And I looked at him, I said, what are you talking? I go, Wayne, my, you mean the stuff that I use in counseling and coaching, all my secret weapons and all that? Exactly. I said, but if I give it away, they don't need me. 
He said, they're going to need you more because they're going to see you're real, that you care about helping people. And trust me, it's going to work. From 1990 to 2023, we have been giving away stuff. And right now on our website, not only can you get the download of the Audible, the book for free, there's three other of our best sellers also free to download on our website, talkdavid.com. This is all due to one of the most amazing mentors that anyone could ever have, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who positively affected trillions of people during his lifetime. And you said something really early in the interview, who you surround yourself with is everything in life. Yes. It is everything. Surround yourself with people better than you, smarter than you, more motivated than you, deeper spiritually than you, better relationships with you. Surround yourself with all stars and watch your life change. And clearly, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer illustrated in, in real life that greatness recognizes greatness. I'm equally honored and humbled to have had, had you as a guest today on, on the Datages podcast. And we're always giving it away free. So <laughs> this is the best I got and, and I'm giving away the best. We will make sure as well to provide links in the bulletin board on datages.com to your website, as well as to your book listings on Amazon and make sure we have a way for people to get in touch with you as well. If they want to go a level deeper and yeah. say, I want to work one-on-one -on -one with David Essel. I want him as my coach. We'll make sure that we have a way that people can, can get a hold of you and reach you and your organization to engage at any level they want. That um, is just awesome, Chad. For sure. And you've been, as I said, extremely gracious with your time, devoted us to today here at Datages. And before we all get out of here, you have the chance to help us uphold one more legacy, which we uphold here at Datages, which is honoring the tradition of the bad dad joke. So okay. before, before we get out of here, David, do you have one that you can lay on us? Gosh, a bad dad joke. Chad, I am one of those guys that, you know, I love jokes. And then if you say, what was the joke you just heard? It's poop. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one? Uh, I don't have one on standby. Okay. Um, No. But if well, I'm ever on again, I'll come back with one. I will hold you to that. Perfect. Just as, as, as Dr. Wayne Dyer uh, invited himself back onto your podcast, <laughs> I think you've successfully done so here. And I say resoundingly, yes. Anytime you want, it's an open invitation. We'd love to have you back. David, we, we, again, we really appreciate the time today. Really appreciate the transparency, everything you've shared. Love the book. Can't wait for the Dadages friends and family to check it out as well. I'll just close by saying, remember, until next time, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. <laughs> I love it, Jack.